It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I'm joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Uh, thanks for joining us once again today, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening. We are grateful to be a part of your day. And if you are benefiting from this program and if you think others may benefit as well, please consider sharing uh, the show on your social media and with your friends and family. We're excited to get back into our discussion of our church distinctives today and looking once again at our distinctive of singing hymns. And before we get into that, Jim, how are you today? Doing great. It's a great time to live in Idaho. It's not a great time to be inside. It's absolutely been beautiful weather, 60s and 90s. I actually love this part of the summer and uh, been out on my bike doing some bike riding. So that's been enjoyable, getting about seven to nine miles a day, just working my way back into it and doing it very casually. So Very, very good. Yes, uh, this is, I think, what they call false fall. Right. False fall, because I think there'll be another summer, another hit from summer. Before we get to actual fall. Yeah. So anyway, well, wonderful uh, to be together once again. Uh, well, we return today to our conversation about church music and our commitment to singing hymns. And where we're going today is we're going to put a bow on our discussion of pop culture and pop music's influence on the church and its music. And then we're going to get into a conversation about uh, some of the, the styles, some of the issues of a lot of the modern music that's out there, even the modern hymns that are being written today. Uh, which are also very, again, popular and and accessible in a lot of what are ostensibly conservative churches, but um, a lot of those are um, interesting to talk about. So we want to talk about those styles. We'll, we'll have to talk a little bit about the idea of preferences, because uh, you can talk about styles all day long, but uh, you also have the issue of preferences. So how do we, uh, how do we navigate some of that? And then we'll just uh, kind of land the plane with just a, a brief discussion on what it is that we're actually doing, uh, the choices that we've made, the things that we are, are are limiting ourselves to. Everybody limits themselves, by the way. So not everyone is just open to anything. It's it's a matter of making choices and limiting ourselves to a particular vein of the way in which we do our corporate worship together. And so we do have, uh, once again, our guest in studio. Uh, he is our uh, one of our deacons. He is uh, our piano player, primary piano player, and uh, my dad. And so welcome back to the studio, uh, Mark Steinmeier. Thank you for having me. Well, we'll uh, pick up once again uh, as we start this episode today of wrapping up our discussion about pop culture, just kind of summarizing a few things and and putting a bow on some of this. As we begin, we just want to address something that I certainly noticed Um uh, I, before we get to that that part, actually, about pop culture, is I want to uh, get to a comment that I received, and as well as just something I noticed in uh, going back and, and just listening to part of the podcast myself. Um, and as you tune into this podcast, uh, I think you probably noticed a, a little musical intro, uh, as well as a musical outro. You noticed uh, electric guitar and bass, for instance, and a uh, pretty, pretty uh, rocky sound. And, and let's just say it didn't sound like a hymn. Uh, or a classical musical style, uh, anything in like what we're talking about. 
And of course, we're, we're talking about style and culture, making judgments. And, and when you tune in, into the podcast, you're greeted with, and we exit with, some rock and roll style music. Well, those bumpers at the beginning and end of a program are custom creations, uh, and they were creations from someone at our church. And this person was asked to do something for us. Uh, we needed something like that. And uh, he was given a lot of freedom to be creative. Uh, we didn't have, uh, we didn't give a lot of parameters and instruction. Uh, we just needed some musical stuff. We wanted it to be ener energetic and upbeat, but um, that was basically all we had really in mind at that time. And uh, he gave us three or four options to choose from, and these two uh, were the ones that we chose. Uh, we thought they were actually the best of what we received. And he played all the instruments himself, by the way, very skillfully. Uh, he put it all together for us for free with kind intentions. Uh, we didn't tell him what to do or what not to do. We we did uh, want, again, something to be upbeat and and just the way it is for a, a podcast, a show. And that was it. And, and while you or I may not listen to that kind of music normally, and it certainly isn't to him, uh, we're just adding a musical bumper to a podcast. Uh, there are no words. It, it is original music gifted to us. And instead of receiving a gift that we asked for and rejecting it, and uh, we decided to go with it. And, and I'm glad we did. Um, listen, we, we may change it in the future and that we're, we're not, uh, we're not married to this forever. And, uh, many podcasts will change a, a few things about intros and outros, uh, all kinds of shows do those types of things. And, uh, we, we may do something like that in the future. Uh, I was actually thinking that, uh, I'm going to ask for something more like a pipe organ next time. <laughs> um, and, and, and then, you know, more people will just cringe like, oh no, it's an organ, right? Um, but I, I think it's, it illustrates an important point also, and that is that we're not judging all music apart from hymns to be terrible e evil. Uh, there is, of course, horrible music. Don't get me wrong. Different styles of music accomplish different things, and they're done for different purposes. Uh, our intro and our outro bumper music is upbeat. It's energetic. It was a gift to us that we are grateful for. And no, you will never hear that music at church. But this podcast isn't church. Now, let's finish our discussion uh, about uh, culture as we get into it today. And I, I think it's important, Andy, like this is our fourth podcast on this because it's not taught enough today. And nobody, we didn't hear any of this up until this point on the podcast music. And now when we get into this particular topic, all of a sudden we hear it. And it really does, as you said, it highlights that we are so programmed to being used to what we're used to that when we do hear something differently... The question is, is how do we educate ourselves on what different is and what does good look like and what does bad look like? And that's my heart for this is the, is the reason we're doing this is so that you can learn what good quality music is and what bad is. And I think today's is going to be a great podcast and I'm excited for you guys to actually hear the difference between those two. And good quality music for written and and done for specific purposes. Right. You know, and uh, and so those are those are really important, right? I and mean, if I'm if I'm going to go to a, a, a basketball game, you know, a slow, uh, uh, thoughtful hymn is, is not going to be the type of music that is really fitting for the occasion. Just right. like my clothes that I wear to church are not the same clothes I'm going to work, uh, I'm going to use to wear in the garden or, or, or doing mechanicing on my car. They're not the right clothes for the job. And so music, again, it's fitting for the occasion. It is, it is designed to do something and to accomplish something. And what we've been talking about at the earlier episodes is uh, we're, we're after something at church. And, and uh, it is a high view of God. It is the edification of the saints. It is pedagogical. It is teaching us. Um, it is doctrinal. It is to be worthy. It is to be uh, looking upward, more transcendent. 
uh, all those types of things. We're not, and we'll get into a little bit today, we're not after uh, the creation of an existential experience. We're not, we're, we're not looking for uh, the creation uh, of manufactured feelings apart from truth and doctrine and so forth. And, and, um, and music is a powerful medium, and mu- music moves us. Right. Uh, sometimes literally. Right. And so we want to just uh, talk about some of the things and the styles going on today and that lead us to the choices that we've made. Yeah, and we talk about that biblically, like Joshua and Caleb as they're preparing for battle, the shofar blows. It's it's not a piano, it's right. not a it's not a pipe organ. It's there's a reason for it. There's an intentionality to getting the troops riled up emotionally because of what they're facing. That's right. And so when we go into That's worship, right. we're picking music because we want to go and worship the Lord. That's right. That's so right. Well, as we finish off this discussion of uh, culture um, and leading into a few of those other elements, uh, the reason for having this discussion about pop culture is to partly explain some of the fervor and the pressure that people feel and, and that people have with regard to their church and, and to they desire and they pressure the, their church to get with the times. And, and what is behind some of the complaints that people have with singing hymns at church uh, people struggle to value and appreciate um, the things and the people that are old. And so the effect on the church is that people want their music to be new. They want their styles to be up to date. And and listen, they want their church to do what other churches do. Uh, that, that's a hard thing for some people, right? To, to have a church that's different is really hard for some people. Uh, they don't want to feel like they are missing out on what the other kids get to do. Uh, they want the new and improved. And all along, we give little thought to the reality that most Christian music today is mass-produced by Pfizer. We talked about the Pfizer thermometer. Was that last time or the time 100%, before? 100%, exactly. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that this is big Eva, big business with big money seeking for you and your church to move to their brand, move to their style, Move to their hymnal, move to their theology, move to their methodology. It's all of them, right? We talked about this slightly before, the, just briefly before the podcast. There's a funnel effect. We are, being, we are being funneled. And the local church is being pulled into an economy of production and consumption. We talked about that in terms of pop culture. That's the origin of pop culture was originally economic, and it was this idea of of we need to stimulate production and consumption. And that it comes with marketing and media. It comes a lot with the, the, the technology as well that's been available to do that. And some, again, some things are better than others, but they are the producers and we are the consumers in a market built on what is popular. But it is, it is, it is an industry in itself and it influences us and we have to admit that. And what we've been alluding to and saying outright is that we are wanting intentionally to be resistant to going along with the flow. And look, this is important for in all of our lives. Um, this is important in raising your children. These are important principles that we need to have for ourselves. Uh, we are cautious about being moved along into new styles and different philosophies of worship. Look, we have to be careful that we are not susceptible to the commercials on TV to just go out and buy that thing, to buy that burger, to to do that 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 new thing, to buy that new truck, whatever that looks like, because it's just simply you are. Uh, uh, Jim Jim talks about this about social media, right? All the time. All the time. The algorithm is moving you, 
and you need we just need to be aware of the uh, the pressures that are that are coming and that pressure is both direct you know they're directly in your face and the more important one is the subtle one and that's yes. the one i'm talking about with not only social media but even the way we interact with music it's uh, such an important concept and and i've said it before if you've got pandora or spotify you can listen to a type of music but every time a new song comes up they are truly influencing you and if you watch if you observe it over time the next thing you know, they're bringing up pop culture. You go from hymns to pop culture. That is unequivocally their trend because they're being paid by all these big organizations, big music to do that. And Pfizer's behind it. <laughs> so right. 100%. So th there's a lot of pressure to change. And I know um, before we move out of this pop culture area, um, and, and Dad, you've done a lot of work and study and, and even reading on it. Um, you've uh, You've got a book that you've been... Uh, reading, I've read it as well. It actually was part of the inspiration for me writing uh, a hymn myself, as uh, the book talks about some of the history and talks about some of the past theologians and reformers who wrote uh, hymns for their congregations and for the church at large. And so, um, your your uh, this particular book uh, talks also he brought up, brought up the subject of pop culture as well. Well, what's the book and um, and uh, what is uh, some of the things that are said in there? Well, the book is called Singing and Making Music, Issues in Church Music Today. It's written by Paul S. Jones, who is the, was the music director for James Montgomery Boyce. And um, I highly recommend it for this, uh, a general discussion of everything that we've uh, discussed on this podcast so far. And as Danny mentioned... Uh, it does have uh, some discussion on pop culture, and I thought, uh, since we're wrapping this up today, it would be good to read what he has to say uh, in by way of summary. So I'm just reading um, out of his book um, the the particular head heading of this little paragraph is called the problem, and um, related to pop culture, he says this. Pragmatism, relativism, narcissism, and pop culture have invaded the church subtly ma masked as stewardship, progressive thinking, and cultural relevance. We are generally unaware of their presence. They have taken a, taken a toll on church music and worship in the process. Much of this has come into play through the contemporary Christian music movement, which, irrespective of taste, cannot be categorically separated from the secular forces and mediocre musical ideals that inform it, no matter how Christianized the text may be. This judgment the words is, of the song is what you're talking about, right? Right, and this, irrespective of taste, we're not just talking about new versus old, we're talking about the influences of secular forces and mediocre musical ideas that inform it. This judgment is not based on musical form, musical style, associative issues, or instruments alone, although those would be sufficient. In other words, we're not talking about specifically any music in particular or any tune, although we could, and we are today going to do that. But the primary problem in Christian contemporary or contemporary Christian music stemmed from the pop philosophy that propels and undergirds it. This philosophy is consumerism, which a lot of people associate pop culture with consumerism. I think there is a difference in that consumerism uh, tends to uh, look at the consumer uh, end of it, uh, whereas pop culture looks more at where 
what is pushing that consumerism? And basically the answer to that is marketing. Um, so they're very similar and some people use those inter interchangeably. Yeah. But uh, in discussion and when you look into it deeply, there is some, some differences in that, that discussion. In consumerism, this is an, an interesting point that we haven't mentioned to this point, uh, and it's uh, um, an insight that he brings to this discussion. I think it's uh, valuable in trying to understand why is it that uh, we are so influenced by pop culture? Well, his take on it is, is the following. In consumerism, value is attributed to music simply because it is purchased. Music that sells is thus music with value and relevance. Mm. The idea that something not created to sell could be valuable or that something from a different age might have significance for us other than as a relic is scoffed at. It is not the sale of music that I am challenging, but the assignment of value and consumerist ideology. That's interesting. That is interesting, right? I tie it back to sanctification, Danny. We talk about how we believe strongly that we are active in our sanctification, right? Be strong, engage um, our participation. It's his, his growing us, but we are active in it. And it's, it's the same thing in music. Like if we're not, if we're not actively understanding what we're doing, then we're just numbing along. We're, we're going with whatever the flow is thrown at us. So, yeah. And sometimes we're not even aware that we are being um, moved uh, by those forces in our culture. Right. Um, as we are, as we live in this world. Um, good. So that, that, that's interesting. So part of, again, what we're, what we're saying is, look, we want to be mindful of these things and we want to be cautious and even resistant to just simply being in the flow, uh, pulled down river with, with the rest. And, um, th those are, uh, those things can be, of course, dangerous for the church. As you get in the flow, you also become very, uh, it becomes very difficult to resist change, even in other areas. Uh, it, it can be others, whether it's we're really talking about issues of style, issues of philosophy, of ministry. Uh, it could be related also to uh, theology and the doctrines. Um, uh, we mentioned this previously. It's not an accident that, that many churches and institutions fall by the wayside um, when they are not resistant to change. And, um, and they, they find that they get in the flow and suddenly it becomes much more easy to change your view and to find ways to get along with the rest of the crowd. It's actually easier to find content too. I mean, it's just readily available instead of actually having to work at it. Ooh, that's a great so point. So it's really hard to understand that. So we'll put this book out on Slack for everyone and we'll make sure we put it in the sub note of the podcast itself so that you guys can have access to it. It's, a, it's important that we understand this. Good. So the pressure to change, that's one of the things that we are resisting for the particular style that we've chosen and why we, we're saying no to some things. And that's just a key element too. I think this is, might be the right place to, to bring this up. Um, and that is, uh, we can't sing everything, can we? The reality is, is that every church is limited. We sing, what is it, uh, five songs on the, in the morning, four songs in the evening, something like that. We and have a repertoire of about 180 songs. 180 songs that we rotate through. And, um, and, and you can't do a lot more than that. You really can't. And, mo and no church does. You, you're going to sing your standards. You're going to sing your favorites and so forth. And so um, uh, that, that's, that's normal. So you're always going to be saying no to something. And, you're, uh, and especially when even when it comes to the fact that we want to sing psalms, the actual psalms of the scripture, 
the um, we're, and we're doing that, that that also adds to what we're doing. We're singing psalms and hymns uh, that that are that are of course uh, older. That's our, that's our aim. And but, I would I would even say it takes away Danny because what you're doing is you're taking 180 and now you're bringing psalms in, which means you're not singing those lower 20. And so I would I would word it as we're taking away. That's and so exactly right. when so, we're picking for those 180, we want the highest view of lordship we can in all 180. And so even if you take 10 and you go contemporary, you've watered down the whole 180. You, you've, you've, you've taken all those things off the table, and not I, just one. I think that's a great point, Jim. And, and it's one that we just, don't I don't realize. think, do, don't realize. And right. people just don't consider that it's a numbers game. It is. Uh, if we sing one, we're not singing another. That's and, my point. And when you and don't sing the other, it goes it, extinct. It, it goes extinct. Right. It goes away. That's right. And, and that's what's happened in um, the vast majority of churches in our, our country today to the point where most people... Uh, most college uh, students in Christian universities don't know more than twenty old hymns. Right. According to that, according book. to that book, uh, and I think that's probably generous. And I think yeah. protecting is important. There are some hymns that are bad. We've talked about this. Yeah, There's some old music that's bad as well. To me, to me, it's how do we worship well? How do we bring God our best? And so, if there was 180 brand new ones and they had a higher quality than the old ones. We should absolutely consider those in in terms of the way that we worship. It's just not there today. And that's what we want to show you the difference today is here's the old, here's why it is good, and then here's the new, and just listen to the difference. Uh, 100% correct. This is If you try to make this an old is good and new is bad, that's, that's a, not the argument. That, that's a, that's a losing argument. Exactly. And, and, it, and it can't be supported. Exactly. And so, but we are, of course, arguing for uh, uh, staying with and holding on to older things. And what, we, what we've been saying too, Jim, right? The old is the new new. Because it turns out that if you don't know these songs, that means they're new to you. I would so love men. They're in, still new songs. I would love men in the congregation to write something that is new, that brings a high quality to God. Like I would be a fantastic, that's where we should be striving for as, as a church body. We should be desiring to do well in everything we do. And if we have people that are gifted in music, really understanding the impact of it and doing that is a blessing. And that's right, too, because I, as an illustration of that, I did write a new hymn. That's right. And it confused some people. I they, understand. They didn't, and I think part, that's why we need to do this podcast, is because they didn't understand as well. Well, what do you mean we're singing a new song? And and it, it was something, but it wasn't, the, the cool kids didn't write it. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it might, and it might be, by the way, a one hit wonder. I don't know if I'll ever be able to write another one, but the reality is, is that, um, it, it, it hopefully illustrates the fact that we are not against any new music whatsoever, but when you'd have new music, you have to be aware of you are, there, there are things falling off the back of the truck. As you load the front of the truck, the things in the back are getting pushed off and, and you better be sure that you do want to get rid of those things. And that, those are the things that we're trying to uh, highlight and talk about. And but, but then we'll get into the issue of there's a lot of people right now that are basically unloading that truck um, over and over again because we're constantly adding all the new stuff. But the challenge for our, our congregation is we want them being the highest quality lordship that they can in what they're gifted at. And if it's music, we want them writing music. We want them That's writing right. super high quality music. Learn from the old, both the good and the bad, and write new. And we want that across the board. We want the highest quality forgers. We want the highest quality axemen. We want the highest quality donut makers. That's that's discipleship. It's not just the pastor. It's not just Sunday. It's through the week 
as we live lives together, how do we do, how do we be the best to glorify God mm-hmm. in everything? That's right. And it's not, and uh, it turns out that's not that easy. Right. Right. You know, to be the best. Right. Uh, and, and to produce high quality stuff, it's not that easy. And so that's why, that's why it's not just as easy to give it over to Pfizer uh, to, you know, to, to, uh, a, a big conglomeration or to a big company or to just professionals. Right. And that's, uh, that, that's another element. We'll just highlight it here since it's on my mind, this idea of, look, we've outsourced a lot of things in the life of the church and we have taken a lot of, I mean, again, we've outsourced funerals, we've outsourced marriages. Well, we, most of the church doesn't need their pastor, uh, except for maybe, you know, uh, a few minutes on on Sunday. And a life care for elderly. I mean, we outsource. put them in a home. Outsource. We outsource, and so, but we also outsource our worship, right? And and music, and so those are those are things that. So we've talked about localism, Jim. We've talked about localism as part of the answer for moving forward in our day. I, I think localism is also one of the answers. When you realize again the commercialization and the economy that the church has been that has has come upon the the life of the church today where it's the churches become a consumer and gets involved in the in the economy of of big eva christianity so for christian uh, music whatever it is uh, it's just something to be cautious about at minimum it doesn't mean you don't do you do zero but it, it definitely needs to, we need to be aware of what it's doing and what we're involved in well let's talk a little bit about um, some of the issues of of contemporary music and some of the styles, uh, Bethel and Hillsong, by the way, uh, but and then bunches of others. Um, and, and listen, Bethel and Hillsong, uh, many people will be like, oh yeah, we shouldn't be singing their music. Well, one of the things you, we need to be aware of is why we're not singing that music. Some of it is not necessarily just the words, guys. Some of the words would be relatively acceptable um, to a lot of Christians. But people recognize also that the, the people producing those songs uh, do have a theology and they have an agenda and and there's and they're doing something with their music. They are worshiping in a particular way that is that is corresponding to their theology. And so uh, a lot of people recognize, well, we shouldn't be singing those. Um, I, amen, and I, I agree. But we also resist uh, some of the new and improved conservative darlings of Sovereign Grace, the Gettys, and even Grace Music. And gasp goes the listener, right? Like oh, those are John MacArthur. John MacArthur, right? <laughs> um, didn't you go to his school? You're not allowed to say things like that, right? Uh, and it's, but I like those songs, and we're going to touch on the challenges also of our likes and our differences, our opinions, our flavors, uh, in, in a little bit. But before we get into that conversation about preferences, we need to have a conversation about um, what these groups are doing. Um, and, and then we'll get into the styles. First, we already spoke about Sovereign Grace a little bit in a previous episode, and I'll mention Piano Bob as we have referenced him previously from uh, Shepherd's Conference. Uh, that is, of course, Bob Coughlin. And I'll just say he's terrible. Uh, and I spoke to someone yesterday, by the way, and it was great to have an outside opinion. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't appreciate him either. And before he's, we, he's terrible in what regard? Uh, that's what I want to talk about. Okay. Um, and and it, it's not just talking about preferences. Uh, he is legitimized, of course, because after all, he's been invited repeatedly now. He's the, he's the go-to guy by Grace Church, which stands, of course, for John MacArthur. So how could he be bad? But you need to realize that Bob Coughlin is on the board of Sovereign Grace Music, and he dates back to the Reformed Charismatic Movement, 
that uh, sovereign grace is uh, overtly identifies as a charismatic um, organization. And C.J. Mahaney and others were advancing this movement, and they are continuationists. And charismatics have had a huge influence on church music in my whole lifetime, and especially in the 80s and 90s, and of course, continuing even into today. Uh, but all the Reformed charismatics did was they take the emphasis and the aim of the charismatics, who are, by the way, very critical of the stodgy, stoic conservatives who don't like emotion, who don't shed a tear, who, who never smile, um, they're very critical of the conservatives for their lack of feeling. And, and what they want to do is they are pursuing differently a, a worship experience, a feeling of the presence of the Spirit, a longing for an outpouring of the Spirit in an ecstatic way, which would include things like tongues and prophecy and healing, etc. That's what, again, the continuationists would, uh, would believe in. And the music by the way, is a big way to generate the experience. The health and wealth people do it. The Southern black preacher does it with his little organ riffs, right? The, the, by the way, the fundamentalist crowd has their own version of it, right? Where you just keep singing just as I am, uh, you know, 10 times until someone comes forward. It's designed to move you and to get you out of your seat. Uh, sovereign grace music simply sought to blend to meld that experiential, emotional, and individual experience that the charismatics have been so good at, uh, and to have reformational orthodoxy added to it. And to be clear, uh, we can be thankful for an improvement in the words of a lot of conservative modern hymn writing. Credit where credit is due. Uh, they are better than the 7-Elevens of the 80s and 90s. But stylistically and philosophically, they are working, listen, to move what they view as the stoic, stodgy, stodgy, old fundamentalist conservatives to the charismatic left. And listen, there are those at Grace Church that are tired of being the old Grace Church. They want to improve it by reupholstering the inside, by the way, which is as ugly as sin nowadays. It's a whole, they, they did a horrible, horrible job. job. Uh, and they want to modernize the music. Yes, I'm talking about the color of the carpet, the color of the pews, the color of the chairs. It's they depressing. It, it's depressing. It, it is It is. Yeah. unchristian. <laughs> and, and right now, it has been a little bit subtle, uh, but I'm predicting it's the tip of the change iceberg. And they are one, yes, they are one person away from this, from that whole thing, from that church, uh, moving very rapidly with the rest of the flow of the sovereign grace Reformed charismatic views of, and practice of worship. Well, when we talked about it. The teaching goes there too, Danny. It's not just the music. It, Absolutely. It's, the, it's all the theology. Absolutely. It's, it's all or none. And Piano Bob, by the way, is a great example of it. His yelling, his self-aggrandizing, and he's leading the congregation in singing. He, he isn't leading the congregation no. in singing as much as he is the star of a show. Right. And we are joining him in his many concerts. Yeah, you can't sing with Bob because you don't know when he's going to stop and pause or repeat or... It's it's ridiculous. It's frustrating. Absolutely. So Absolutely. And the, this is not by accident. And this is not divorced from the style of the... And, and the purposes for the music of the music that is being performed. Now, let's bring up the Gettys. They're interesting. Nominated for a Grammy. That's fine. They attended the Grammys this past February. Um, which I think is somewhat problematic um, with the devil routine that was performed. I, I just haven't heard um, them say anything um, about that, but they were there. They were present. I verified that. Um, 
They're from Ireland, and their business is writing Irish folk-style hymns. Okay, That's their style, and that's what they do. Nothing wrong with that by itself. I, I don't begrudge them writing music in a particular style of where they're from. Uh, it beats Reformed rap, by the way, any day. Okay, <laughs> But they, they have become so popular that in many churches, their music isn't scrutinized at all. And in many churches, uh, I've identified it is it appears that if it's Getty, it's good. It's just automatic. Uh, oh, did you say Getty? Okay, well, then we'll sing it. Uh, and we almost have to sing it because the Gettys did it. Uh, but the Gettys are the contemporary darlings of evangelicalism today, and most of their music is not very good for congregational singing. But beyond that, when you understand that they are seeking to become, and most of the church today is welcoming it, that is, they, along with Sovereign Grace music and now Grace um, music, they are replacing the old hymns, and you have to step back and think about all the things that we've been talking about. Marketing, business, philosophical movements, uh, a constant pressure to change and to reach for their new content. I believe it's a big deal. And furthermore, their songs are written primarily for concerts and a concert, more, more of a concert style. We'll talk about the style here in a minute. Their songs are written to encourage the hand raising, the eyes roll, rolling back, and the experience of modern worship. Go to their website, by the way. Watch the videos. Watch the watch the concerts. Um, it, it is it is all of that, and you can't you can hardly differentiate um, a Getty concert from a charismatic church service. And I think before we get into the issue of style, what we think uh, and why we think there is better standards and historical value in pursuing some of the older music hymn traditions. Let's note here again that when you choose to sing some songs, other songs get excluded. Some go the way of the dinosaur. Now, when you um, let's just be honest with the Gettys. The Gettys don't say, oh, you should sing all of our music. Um, I looked for it. I couldn't find it on their site in preparing for this. Dad, I know you've read it before. They have a 60-40 rule. Um, is that what they recommend? No, that's just what's temper. what was done for quite some time at Grace Community. We, we actually would um, keep track, I would, of the music that they were singing on Grace Community. We, we'd tune into their um, streaming live frequently and notice that, that they had a similar form formula. At the Shepherds Conference, the formula was 60-40. The last time, the last few times that we've um, tuned into Grace Community, it's not 60-40 it, anymore. anymore. Right, which means 60% uh, Getty. New, Getty or, songs or Getty, style. or Getty style, if you will. We're, we're kind of associating Getty with a style. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but then forty uh, percent of the old, right? And uh, but it doesn't it doesn't go that way. Um, it 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 ends up being the um, it, it moves it out. And uh, and so again, we want to be ones that are holding on to uh, traditions, holding on to uh, some of the older um, the older forms and older and even reformational traditions. Uh, of uh, older hymn singing. And I think we can say the style of church music today in the big church today is that there is no style, that it's constantly changing. And if you look at the history from, we talked about Chuck Smith, we talked about the Jesus movement, then you've got Big Eva with Seeker Sensitive and these big box churches with the Starbucks in the lobby. You move that into the Young Restless and Reform, which has fallen away. All of these things have fallen away. All of them have fallen away. And it just leads to the next next. Because, that's all it is. Because it's that's the what next, this, next. Because that's what this is. It's a it's, flow. Right. You're not stopping the river. Right. You have to you either right. you at some point you either have to get out 
or you're going to be in the flow of change. And we see it in we see it in church ministries too. It's program church ministry. You know, they've got executive pastors that have business experience. Well, that's the last thing you want. And I come from business, but that's the last thing you want is business philosophies coming in. What you actually want is God's word shaping your business, but that's a whole different discussion. Okay. And you see it with Awana, ACBC. It's 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 the program in a box and we've got to be very careful. I so. I, think I I agree with that. Well, Dad, let's talk a little bit about style. You've um, done some analysis. You've studied some of the different hymnals. You've been looking at, of course, the different styles of what we, we, we kind of call it um, around our house, right? The Getty, a Getty style or a Getty song. And it's not because it's um, they're all written by Gettys, but we're seeing that there is a particular style that has caught on, that has become popular, and it's uh, it goes along with and similarly, Bob Coughlin and Sovereign Grace and those different, uh, a few, there's a few different writers, um, but it's a pretty small, exclusive crowd. Right. And, and actually, I disagree a little bit with what Jim was saying that, uh, I think I know what he was saying, that there is no constant style that, uh, that we're looking through over time. It changes continually. But there is a style now with the Getty music and uh, Getty style music. And it is quite uh, ubiquitous in the music that's being produced now. Uh, so it's not just Getty. The fact, the example that uh, first example that I want to look at is uh, not Getty. It's a, a guy by the name of Bork. Um, I think he's out of Georgia, um, and uh, some others. But the but as we see, this style is not isolated. It's not really that unique or um, hard, difficult to find. You can virtually open up the Grace Hymnal and find it very easily. As you uh, mentioned the Grace Hymnal, um, you've, you've done, do you recall some of the analysis that you had done previously on the Grace Hymnal? Um, what, what are some of the, the numbers that you're talking about in terms of the, the new stuff that's in the hymnal? Well, I mean, for the Gettys, um, there's... Uh, between Keith and Christie, there's some 50 songs that are in that hymnal. There's a great deal of overlap. Uh, so they we're looking at really probably about 30, 32 uh, hymns just from them. Um, then Townsend has another 30. Um, Mark Rice has another 30. That's a lot of hymns. Just, just to put it in perspective, <clears throat> we sing a, a, a lot of uh, songs from Charles Wesley, <clears throat> excuse me, Charles Wesley and um, Fanny Crosby. Uh, in our hymnal, we have 15 distinct songs by Fanny Crosby, and we don't sing four of them, so there, there's 12 songs from, from her, and compared to 30 of uh, Gettys, as well as Townsend, as well as uh, Rice, as well as Webb, as, and that's just counting them. The, the number of, of um, contemporary artists in that book, uh, in the hymnal, is much beyond that, as I'm discovering uh, each time I go into it. Um, and the, but the style is so similar. It's just, I hope we can be able to see that in our brief example today as we go through that and remember it's a numbers game back to the 180 so every 30 30 30 you put it in there well that's 90 
So that's half of what we sing. Again, not that everyone sings every one of those, but the point is, everyone you put in the book, you're taking a good one out. A lot of the churches yeah. do. So a lot that's, of the churches do sing almost all of them. Right, and then I, yeah. I think that's important, Danny. Yeah. By putting it in there, you are endorsing it. You, it it's your book. Mm-hmm. So you're saying... Well, we happen to have a uh, keyboard in the in our studio. Uh, it, it, it lives here, and uh, so we thought that we would uh, make use of that a little bit. And you just because some of this is difficult to explain, uh, sometimes you have to hear uh, a few things. And so, Dad, you've prepared a few examples of uh, some of the things you're talking about. Yeah, um, I've talked about style with a lot of people, and it's 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 very difficult to talk about it. You can talk about what it is that defines those particular styles. Uh, but it just doesn't quite seem to register with people. And so I'm hoping that uh, by um, hearing them, you'll at least hear the, the various components of the style. And I want to start by just um, going back to this book that we mentioned before, Singing and Making Music, Issues in Church Music Today by Paul S. Jones. And he uh, attacks this or addresses this um, issue in, in, in analyzing the uh, contemporary hymns. And here's what he has to say about these the style. Many of these basic musical features, and he's just covered what uh, is considered to be uh, really common sense components of good Christian, good church music, harmony, rules of good counterpoint, voice leading, so forth. So he's just covered that. And he says, many of the basic musical features are found wanting in much contemporary Christian music. Melodies tend to be monotonous or to move in extreme ranges. Harmony often is simplistic and consists of repeated standard chords that have little direction or contrapuntal logic. And then he goes into a little discussion on rhythm. And he really kind of loses... Uh, loses us in the weeds there a little bit talking about rhythm. But this notion of rhythm is crucial in this discussion because there is a, a, a rhythm. And I, I don't know exactly how to describe it. There's no name that you can particularly put on it. I know when I used to play way back when I played the uh, guitar, we talked about the Johnny B. Good progression and the rhythm with that. Uh, there, there is no name like that to put on it. Um, but there's definitely a distinctive rhythm that is part of contemporary Christian music, and hopefully you can listen to that and pick that up easily as we uh, compare that with a traditional hymn. And um, he just concludes this with, um, many gospel hymns exhibit trite harmony and melody and repetitive rhythm. There he goes back to the rhythm again. He calls it different things in different places. In another place, he calls it static rhythms that are repeated. Um, And so it's very difficult to describe, but yet it is a very key component into the style of of modern, modern hymns and modern songs. And then he just concludes it with, inclusion in a hymnal does not make a piece of hymn, nor does it make it worthy of use. And I think that's uh, so just because, yeah, some uh, an editor put it in a, a hymnal doesn't mean that it makes it good. Just because we would say the same thing for our, the hymnal that we use, just right. because it's in there. I mean, in the garden is in there, and there's a melody. Uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty melody. It is. Uh, the 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 words disqualify it, <laughs> but it, it, it make it not worthy to be sung. And so there's there's another there's a few elements to, of that. Um, so when when it comes to, um. 
Well, I, why don't you go ahead and give us a demonstration, Dad, of, of what you're talking about. And then I want you to talk to us a little bit about the uh, the, the problems that, as you see it. You've talked to, uh, to me before. We've, we've had discussions about the problems of dynamic range, uh, the problems um, of, of some of the, you talked about the, the rhythms and, and the, the difficulties. Because again, I want to take us back to the reality of uh, what a lot of the words you're not going to be able to argue with in a lot of these songs. And that's, that's part of the, the hook element, I would imagine, in some measure. The, the rest of it is, what are we accomplishing with the music itself? And, and is it, does it work well for a congregational singing that, that is not uh, performance-based? And, and I think one of the things that we've had discussion about is the reality that a lot of these things, why are they written the way they're written? Well, it's because they're written for Keith and Kristen to perform. And for many uh, worship bands and teams, see these are these are worship band team songs, um, not congregational singing songs. Those are not exactly the congregation. Of course, is invited to sing, so you're like, oh, of course, it's for all of us. No, it's actually a performance that you get to participate in, but it's not the same thing. So that's why you're gonna. I believe that's why uh, the styles are not um, going to be similar to the uh, what we are calling the traditional older hymn. So go ahead, Dad. Well, just one more point on that. In that book, um, he does discuss that whole subject of new contemporary hymns, and although they're better in words, the the style of music disqualifies them. And he talks about that in, in the book. So, if you want to um, learn more about that, that's a, a good resource for that. So, um, the example that I want to start out with was given to me by Grace Community. Uh, we um, we're coming home from church one Sunday morning, and what we often will do is we'll tune into Grace Community. We like to just keep a tab on what's going on there in that Cause church. Because their pastor wasn't good enough uh, earlier, so they <laughs> needed to get a good one in the afternoon. Well, your your mother is does like John MacArthur. There. <laughs> that is not her pastor. <laughs> and church discipline's coming at that. <laughs> well, anyway, um, uh, so we tuned into live stream, and they were in the process of what they said. They were teaching the congregation an old, old hymn. And um, so they proceeded to go through it, and, and they sang it. It wasn't very well uh, participated in, um, but nevertheless, he reinforced once again after they were done that this was a very old hymn, and we need to learn, learn old hymns. And I listen so it to, sounds like they're singing our, they're preaching our our message they're, they're right. singing our song right sounds like they're right in line with what we're trying to do but I heard the hymn and I said there's no way that's an old hymn that's a Getty style hymn if I've ever heard it and um, so I went home and I was just thinking about the hymn and on the way home I was thinking it seems to me that I've heard <clears throat> that I've sung that uh, song the words, when I was a, a child in the church that I grew up in. And so I got home and I got out my old Lutheran hymnal, it's actually my mom's, and sure enough, the hymn that uh, they sang was in that old Lutheran hymnal, except not with the same melody, it was written with the melody that was written in 1625, which is when the hymn was written. That's an, that's an old hymn and an old melody, and it has very much a classic style of the hymn, hymnody in that era. So I want to first play 
the song as it was uh, played at Grace uh, Community. And um, I have to qualify it that on the keyboard, I don't have a pedal, so it'll be a little bit just uh, choppy. I'll try to smooth it out as much as I can. Um, and I'll just try to keep the melody line just to, to so you can focus on the different aspects. Um, so this is the hymn. It's from Grace, the Grace Hymnal, hymn number 66, Whate'er My God Ordains Is Right, <clears throat> written in 1625. But here's the melody that they uh, sung with that melody. It goes... That's the hymn that um, they played that morning. And many of us right now are going, oh, we recognize that. Yep, just to be clear. I heard it before. Yep. Well, well, go ahead. You're going to recognize it because it's quite common. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the original hymn from the 1625 with the music from that area, era. Well, you can see the difference in in the style you certainly should be able to pick up the uh, difference in melody um, the rhythm huge for rhythm difference huge rhythm difference and that's really what um, and, and then really that resolution there's a frequent um, resolution that I heard in that second one um, that I think is a quality of, of congregational singing that's important yeah, there's one aspect of this song. Um, the way it ends is, uh, and that turns out to be a a very common way to end modern songs. They'll they'll, they'll play a certain melody and then they'll just sometimes just seems almost out of the blue to they'll just end it with that. Ta -da. Uh, type of ending and so we'll see that uh, and, uh, um, so just to okay so that's the the melody so excuse me so lest you think that that is just a unique example um, I just selected some other ones that we could look at Let's just turn over to page 51 and uh, it's called The Secret Place. It's written by Bob Coughlin. Now, let me just talk about... So a different, different writer. Coughlin, yeah. Um, let me just talk about dynamic range now. Uh, dynamic range deals with um, how far you have to stretch your voice in order to sing a hymn. Typically, a hymn has a dynamic range of one octave, so that's considered 
a dynamic range of zero. And uh, if it goes beyond that, there's plus one, and then plus two, and then plus three. And if it gets beyond that, um, we have one hymn that has a plus three dynamic range that we've sang in this wonderful grace of Jesus, where you come to the very end. And um, so, how, however, a lot of modern songs will have a, quite a large uh, dynamic range. Um, if I play a hymn on Sunday morning that has a dynamic range of two, I will have probably have some comments. Uh, to About it being difficult. It being difficult. Right. Uh, it's a stretch that, that was a little bit difficult to sing. Um, so to go beyond that, um, if I regularly had... Uh, in fact, if I have a dynamic hymn of three or of two, I will typically try to lower that down a little bit. So um, I'll take it down a half a step or maybe even a full step to, to try to get that upper range down. Um, but, I mean, some, a lot of the uh, modern songs will have those typically quite high dynamic ranges. This particular song by Bob Coughlin, Coughlin has a dynamic range of two. So that's, that's stretching your voice a lot. If we sang that and in a hymn style, I would hear some comments, not necessarily you know, criticism or whatever, but just comments that that's a hard, that was a hard song to sing. Um, so this you said is, some, there are some songs that are, popular even among this style that are plus five you said well there's i came across one okay one, one plus five. that as it is written is has a dynamic range of plus five um julie andrews might be able to sing that um maybe Kristen getty uh, she has a pretty good voice maybe philip webb maybe something like that but the rest of us we can't sing that we can't you, there's no way we can sing that. And so we don't. So we don't sing those, that full range. We just stop it typically where um, where the, at plus three really in that particular song. So um, practically it's a plus three, but it, as it is written, it's a plus five. And some people could may, may want to challenge that and say, well, that was not meant to be sung, but it's in the melody line. So if it's in the melody line, it seems to me like that's meant to be sung. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's one song, but this one has, uh, um, a so dynamic 51 and this is going to be similar to that, uh, whatever my God ordained, okay, so, right? Okay. Yeah, so let me just review it. Okay. Here's the secret place. So you see that has a, um, a dynamic range of plus two. So I, I hope that you can hear the similarities in style with that. Uh, and 
as I went through the hymns, I have a number of hymns here that uh, over and over and over again demonstrate that style. Um, in, uh, uh, we're not going to go through, through those. We just wanted to give you a representative so you, you could uh, follow through on that on your own. Just, uh, just one more. This is uh, hymn number 100, Oh God, My Joy. It's written by Paul Kew. K-E-E-W? K-E-E-W. That is, and I really don't think that people sing it that way. I think they probably, the, the performers as well as the singers probably smooth that out to that kind of thing. But I played it as it was written. It's a 16th note. That 16th note is, is, is played that way. So I just kind of find that, find that to be a little bit interesting. And I, I hope that you can see the style, the the really the monotonous melodies, the dynamic range. Um, he also explains it, but it's very difficult. But this dissonant uh, jump, or this one, they're very dissonant in their jumps, and that's very characteristic as well. Um, and that's that's. Uh, well, that's a, that's a character quality of the, the modern music. They tend to have these very dissonant jumps. Um, and then oftentimes they'll keep that tension for throughout the song and then end it at the very end with this kind of just kind of wrapping it up with that that final little phrase. I, I have a great example of that if you that's that's kind of what we talked about as, as a, an example of <clears throat> demonstrating the style and just giving you an idea of uh, what the style sounds like. Uh, you can talk about these melodies, these rhythms, these dynamic ranges, but until you hear it, um, it becomes it's kind of nebulous to a lot of people. So hopefully, this is helpful. Well, and that's how you mass produce it, right? You, you simplify it in terms of the complexity, and then right? you, plug and, you kind of plug and play with just a few little. You make uh, it changes. unsingable so that it's a concert it's instead a of right. That's right. It's, it's a, a performance. worship team, right? It's yeah. the worship team instead of congregational singing. That's right. And then you just rinse and repeat, right? And I do think you said it earlier that lack of closure that they they bring, except for the tada at the end. That's intentional. That that's to leave you unsettled. I believe it's intentional. And it leaves you with an unsettled feeling until that conclusion. Then you think, oh, it's over. But it hasn't concluded as it's going. There's no closure in, in the beauty of it as it goes. And we talked about God being a God of order and intentionally building something. Yeah. These are not produced in a vacuum. These uh, there, there are 
people that are trained. There are people that go to school. There are people, look, uh, we're all influenced by our times, which is again, another reason why it's very difficult to do really good stuff in the, in, in, in our contemporary time. If we are, you know, we talk about we're, we're influenced by feminism. We all, all of us are right. We are in, we've been influenced. Our day has been influenced by postmodernism. There's conversations uh, in that book. We've had conversations separately as well about the influence of postmodernism on music, and uh, and there's elements here that of of those types of things that uh, find their way into musical styles. And look, we talked about this in terms of movies. It's interesting. Uh, the movies are all the same. Uh, you, you listen to even a lot of the. Um, other other genres outside of Christian music. You listen to some of the other music that's being produced today, mass produced by industry people who are moving you into a particular direction to buy a certain thing to 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 shape your likes into a particular direction, and uh, and so it's very difficult to to try to step out of that. And so what Dad's done here a little bit is again giving it a fair shake, seeking to analyze it, seeking to understand it, um, and and seeking to uh, uh, help us think through some of these things. And again, it's not just that it's new or that uh, old means better, but we're trying to work through some of the functionality of what it means to have good congregational singing. And so what we're doing with our music for congregational music, we, we, we need to talk about, well, what is it that we are doing? Maybe we've been a little bit critical of what we're not doing and why we're not doing it. And that's one uh, one element. But part of it is, listen, everyone, we, we've chosen a hymn book. Um, and we've seen it as in part providential. This was a hymn book um, that was gifted to us. Uh, this is something that um, uh, this is a hymn book that is is of course an older hymn book. It has newer stuff, and if you're talking 50s and 60s of the 1900s uh, as well. But um, and a lot of that is not very good. Um, it, it's not about the holiness of a particular hymn book even. And uh, but we've chosen a hymn book, and it has a lot of wonderful older uh, hymns. And listen, it's not perfect. Well, there's a lot of good hymns that we're not singing in part because they're not in our hymn book. And, and so uh, you're, again, we've talked about the numbers game. We've talked about the reality of what you are, what we are able to sing and, and the songs that we choose. Uh, now listen, some denominations, by the way, um, they do have it perhaps a little bit easier with, um, with the people because a denomination, uh, I think of a few denominations that they've chosen their book. The whole denomination uses the same book. And so you can go from church to church, and you can be assured that they're going to have the same uh, hymn book. There's a there's a value in that. There's a quality in that um, because it identifies a measure of this is where our songs come from, and, and so forth. Uh, we're not necessarily tied to this book forever, and we may be willing to change at a different time, just like we might be willing to change an English translation of our of our Bible. Uh, we have, but we want to be careful, and we want to be cautious, and deliberate and slow to make those types of jumps. Because listen, when you when you change, for instance, when you change a Bible translation, one of the challenges that we've noticed is we can't all just do a public reading if we're all holding different translations in our, in terms of like everybody responsive. You can't, you can't just have everybody read and have everybody reading the exact same translation because everybody's got a different copy. Um, it, it, it changes how you memorize the scripture. If you're going to change a translation, it, it really can be a disruptive element. All the things you've trans, you've memorized, um, they're, they're a little bit different now. And so all those things have to be taken with great care if we're going to be making such types of changes. And um, we're focusing our efforts at trying to sing and learn some of the best that we have to offer. And uh, we've examined, of course, other hymnals. We've considered going with other hymnals. 
and uh, and we've we've went with an older hymnal that uh, again was providentially gifted to us, and and we've been grateful for that. Um, there's lots of other, as I said, older hymns that we're not singing, but um, we're, we're wanting to try to stick with as much as we can the songs that we have. Uh, we might go outside every once in a while, but for the most part, we want to stick with the ones that we have and learn them to the best of our ability. We want what we will notice is one of the differences in these. Um, in these hymns that we do sing, there is a diverse uh, diversity of melody. Uh, there is a dynamic emphasis of themes, different themes, and, um, and and we. But it's a chosen standard, and it's not the only standard, but it is the one that we're going with. And so we're seeking to promote the best we can congregational singing with songs whose style is suited for and intended for that. Uh, that, that doesn't mean they're always easy. Um, but just like these other songs that aren't particularly easy, people do learn them and people actually do learn to like them. Um, and so we're seeking to do the best with the hymnal that we have. And again, we're singing psalms, so that's another aspect to that. We're doing the best that we think that we can do in uh, in bringing psalms. We're not singing all the psalms in part because they're so di- they, some of them could be so difficult, and we 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 want to not be burdensome upon our people to have to to, to learn so many different uh, brand new songs that are that that are very difficult. Um, so we're wanting to try to uh, be as as helpful as we possibly can. Before we just kind of wrap things up, Dad, we just talked a little bit about that issue of preference and opinion, taste, um, you know. But I like that song. That's always a challenge, right? How do you? How do you? Is it just a matter of like, and we just should give give people what it is they like? I mean, if they like a song, why can't we sing that song? Well, um, the fact of the matter is you can learn to like any type of music. That should be abundantly apparent in our society and our culture. That's true. Uh, churches have rap. They have all kinds of different styles of music, and they like it. <coughs> yeah, and you can justify anything, right? I mean, I think about Bill Cosby. His kids wanted <laughs> chocolate cake for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. well, and all of a sudden you start justifying, well, there's eggs and cake, and there's milk and cake, so it's a good thing, right? And so we got to be really careful. So um, I choose fried cake with syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Pancakes. Yeah. So just because we like it is not a criteria, a good sole criteria for choosing music. We need to look at what's appropriate. And what, that's what we've tried to do to the best of our ability, what I've tried to do through the years and selecting. So as your son, if I came to you, Dad, and I said, I like, I like a mohawk. Yeah. What, what what do you what do you do with that? I mean, like, it's just hair. I mean, I mean, I well, couldn't do a mo. I mean, I we'd all like hey. to see that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now, now you're getting into. I could still, still do it. I could still pull it off. Now you're getting into parenting, and um, I. Well, but in parenting, you're dealing with children with preferences. Right. Well, yes, that's right. And um, I, your example immediately goes back to my mind to uh, what a pastor told me. Um, years ago when he was dealing with his son who came home from college, a Christian college with long hair. And he told his son to get a haircut. And the son looked at him in the, in the eye and said, no. And the pastor looked at him and said, I'm asking you to do that. I'm, I'm requiring you to do that. He said, no, I'm not going to. He says, so you prefer your hair over our relationship." And he went and got his haircut. I mean, he, he thought about that and s- said that 
he realized that he was still under the authority of his father. He was wise enough to realize that. And it, it was a moment in time of, of extreme confrontation over whose likes are going to take. Uh, and that's the way it is in every church too, because yeah. at some point it does come down to who gets to make the decisions. Yes. Right? That, that's, and so ultimately what you're, what we're trying to recognize here is that um, in every church, it's, it, this isn't our church. This is every church. You have people who are in the positions to make this decisions about what the standards are for their church, just like a just like a, a, a father and, and a mother and are in the positions to identify for the children. Uh, you might have likes and preferences, but they may not meet the standards of what this particular family is going to be about. And so, uh, it, it doesn't mean that all the likes are are irrelevant. It doesn't mean that all the likes are are totally bad. They may not be the up to the particular standard of that particular family, and so, for instance, uh, uh, if I came home and said I wanted to get a mohawk, it would be well, thank you for your opinion, um, but that doesn't meet the standards of this household. So the answer is no. We're not going to be 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 doing that. And so, in some ways, similarly, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the church, there are going to be differences of opinion and preferences, and maybe I'd like to sing that song. Maybe I'd like to do that thing. And the, um, the answer from sometimes the authority is, well, you know what, I, I don't see it that way, or, we're, or we've chosen a different path for the shepherding and the worship um, that we are, are, are offering here. And we can listen, and we can hear from, from people of recommendations, suggestions, or, or arguments to be made. Um, but of course, even in, that, in the way in which we relate to each other, it should be respectful, and it should be understanding that we have a ready responsibility before God to shepherd the best we can to honor him and to edify our people. And so decisions are going to have to be made. Just like, well, who cares about hair? Well, uh, some people do. And, and so some dads... The military gonna, does. The military does, right? right. Uh, some people are think it's uh, it, it's a bigger deal than others. But the reality is, is that there are... I remember, I'll just tell a quick story here. Um, and Jim, I think, had something to jump in. I remember um, the next door neighbors had the uh, high top red Converse tennis shoes. And I wanted, I wanted to have the red high top Converse tennis shoes because man, those looked cool. And um, and the answer was uh, no. Uh, not only do they not meet the the standards of appearance for our family, um, but your Kmart specials um, will do you just fine. And beware of just simply wanting to do whatever your neighbor the neighbor is doing. And it was one of those things where I I didn't understand at the time. Like I I remember I, that it was that was actually tough and we actually kind of felt bad because there was pressure being put on you by we the made, other we were being made fun of yes you were made of we didn't for, have cool cause, shoes because you bought your shoes at kmart that's right that's <laughs> right and we were trying to defend ourselves but we didn't know really how or why and maybe it was just easier for us if we conformed and then we wouldn't get made fun of and and again it's one of those elements where i we had to be was there anything wrong intrinsically with red converse high top tennis shoes not in themselves, um, but in terms of the standards for our family, the economics of our family, and the lessons for our family, it was, um, no, we're not going to give in to your desire to be liked and get along with the neighbor who was making fun of you for the for the song you sing, I mean, the shoes you wear. 
the reality is, is that we're wanting to shepherd and lead in this particular direction. And so that's why we want to do these types of podcasts to help encourage people. Hey, this is, this is where your shepherds are wanting to lead. And the disciple piece, I think is important, Danny. It's, it's not just no, this is what we're going to do. It's right. here's why we're doing yeah. it. And our desire is that you learn the whys, that you actually go off and do the work of understanding it such that maybe you don't like that old song, but you appreciate what it represents. And I think that's, that's critical because the more discerning you are in picking good music, the more educated our discussions are going to be around what you like and don't like. That's right. Because if you bring us garbage, we're going to show you that it's garbage. That's right. Or try. Or try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes it's, there's emotions involved with our tastes and our feelings. And uh, again, the pressures that we might be even be receiving, maybe, maybe as a, as a father, you're receiving pressures from uh, your kids. Uh, maybe it's pressures from your wife, or maybe it's the neighbors or your, you know, your siblings or whatever the case may be. Um, those are, those are challenges. And sometimes it's just internal. Sometimes it's, we're not even just aware that we're being influenced by a lot of other things. And 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 look, we have to be aware too, guys. We have to be aware that, that, um, a lot of influences is targeted at us as well. And we have to be mindful of what we're influenced by and what we're resisting, um, and what we're standing for and, and what we're trying to advance. And th- those are all um, just challenges that we are seeking to, um, in an effort to humbly give God the best that we can and to lead our people in the best direction that we can, decisions are have to be made. And, and we are trying to do so based on on criteria and elements and all the things that uh, that make for wonderful worship. And give us feedback if there's things that we can do on this topic, because I do think this is an important one. If there's, if we do another podcast on it, or if you've got questions, or oh, I mean, yeah. the book is a good read, but if there's more that we can do and teach on this, I think it's really important. And maybe we do a whole episode where we just play old versus new and talk about the differences there. So give us feedback. Yeah, that'd be great. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions. So definitely you can submit those via email, but you can also talk to us, of course, at church. And we'd love to, uh, uh, we'd rather you talk to us um, than for you to uh, have doubts and questions and uh, what, disagreements or whatever, and yet to hold on to them and not really engage and love what we're doing. We really want you to be a part of this. I want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. Truth.